You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Your photos don't belong on your phone, so get 15 free square prints from Nations Photo Lab. Head on over to nationsphotolab.com slash print your photos and use the code IMPROVE15. Nations Photo Lab prints are made by photographers for photographers. You can choose from 4x4 or 5x5 sizes on their professional quality luster paper, and voila, you've turned your Instagrams into instant handheld memories. So make every moment matter and head over to nationsphotolab.com slash print your photos and use code IMPROVE15 for your 15 free square prints today. Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You are joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I am Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode, and today I'm joined by my friend Brent Bergherm. How are you, Brent? Hey, doing well. Good to hear from you. I know it's cold up there in Washington. Same here in Utah. It's freezing. <laughs> yep. The, fi- the cold finally reached us. It and sure it was did. about eight eight degrees when I drove into work today. We have a very rare closure of the schools today. Well, one of the school districts. The other school district didn't close down uh, in the main part of the valley here, but the school district for my kids did. We got a call like way early this morning saying, hey, don't come today. And it's like the timing of the snow, not really the quantity of it. It's just the conditions were perfect for black ice underneath snow, and that's a disaster for everybody. So That would be rough, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But... We're not here to talk about the weather. (laughs) We are going to talk today about uh, lies from camera companies. A really kind of interesting topic that was not my idea. I need to give full credit to Tony and Chelsea Northrup and their Picture This podcast. I love their podcast. If you haven't checked it out, you really need to. It's it's cool. I'll, I'll put a link to this specific episode that I'm talking about where they went over five lies that they came up with from camera companies that um, that they they think camera companies tell photographers to to market their product. I mean, and and I, lies is is a strong and harsh word. They kind of it really is. Yeah, <laughs> they kind of you know dampened that too in their podcast, and we need to here as well. Not really lies. This is just you know I feel for the camera companies. They have to find a way to market these cameras. And they have to find a way to have kind of the features. And some of them may not even want to list the feature as the thing that's important to them, but everyone else is. And so they have to. (laughs) So they have to go with it, even though it may not be the most critical factor to them and this camera and so on. But they do illustrate a couple of like prime examples in in the podcast. And so I want to run through the five lies. Let's talk about those lies. Uh, from our perspective, what our experience has been with them. And then um, I want to see at the end of the show kind of what lies you might add to the list, what things you might uh, also say are being used to market the camera and not really something that's that important or critical or doesn't work the way that it's supposed to. All right. So let's... Or or maybe I, I might call it excessive hyperbole. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, they're just kind of really blowing that trumpet as it were and just like, well... Mm, sometimes sure but other times it's like i don't know it might be a little too much yeah but yes and i mean any industry has this the computer industry the same thing there's always there was for a long long time all this huge pressure on uh megahertz gigahertz kind of ratings of the computer which 
yes, is a factor, but is not the only thing that matters when you're buying a computer and what you're working with. There's way more to it than that. And that's an example of in another industry. I think every industry is going to have this. You have to have some kind of metrics to compare products, and they sometimes don't all make as much of a difference as the advertising would have you believe. But anyway, let's let's go through these five lies. I think they were interesting. It made me think about the lies or the 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 advertising impact on me. We talked about advertising impact quite a bit on the show and uh, and I, it's interesting. So let, let's start with number 1 that the Northrop's had was silent mode. Have you ever used silent mode, Brent? Yeah, occasionally I have uh, various cameras, and it's it's kind of nice to be able to have it a little more quieter, and it just depends on where you're shooting. There's a few places, like if you're in a concert hall or whatever, you got to go that route or even go even more so and put it into a casing that takes all that sound out. But sometimes I use silent mode, yes. And of course, on the mirrorless cameras that we have today, they can truly be silent. It's It's really cool how silent they can be. In fact, yeah. uh, so silent that some of them have an option so that you can have the camera play a sound just so that you feel like you clicked the button <laughs> right. and get some sort of feedback that you clicked the button because it yeah. may not feel like it even got clicked and, and they've had to add the sound to it. Yeah. On my 6D, when I shot that a while back, I remember changing it to silent mode because I actually just liked the sound better. Oh, yeah. And it made this camera operate a little bit slower, but I didn't usually need that little extra speed that it would give you. So I just would do that almost all the time. Okay, so I've tried silent mode on mine, and it doesn't really change it a whole lot either on my 70 Mark II. I don't even know if it's on the ADD. It's not a feature... I care about personally, but I'm not shooting yeah. weddings. I'm not. Sh- I'm not shooting in a lot of situations where it has to be quiet. So I, right. I, I'm not really worried about it for my own personal shooting. What was funny though was uh, right in the podcast episode, Tony had a Canon 5D Mark II, and he remembered when Canon was initially marketing that camera. They very specifically in the marketing made a point to say, we have silent mode now on this camera, Woo-hoo. right? <laughs> and and he was like super excited. They were doing weddings at the time. They really wanted, they had a use case where like, this would change things. I can't wait for this. So he had this really big expectation of, of something that was going to be like a game changer with DSLRs. And then he tried it, and it changes the sound, but it's not very much quieter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as he as he did it, and uh, it was really funny the way that he reacted. And I think they put this on the list because it personally hurt him. <laughs> he said it on the on the podcast actually that he just felt so much pain from being kind of duped in the marketing. <laughs> yeah, with with this particular feature. So, yep, silent mode was their first lie. All right, the next lie, and this one is is com- more common, I think, and uh, uh, gets to the, what I was saying with the industry. You got to find metrics to compare products, but the metric itself, all by itself, isn't super meaningful, and that's megapixels. We talked about like megahertz, gigahertz with computers. That's not the only thing. Well, same with with megapixels. The megapixels of the sensor is absolutely factual. Like that's how many little sensor receptors are in the the camera sensor that's scientific that's fact but how valuable each of those little sites photo sites are in the sensor 
has, there's more factors than just that on yes. how the resolution, ma- you know, what resolution you're going to get as you take photos. And they, they pointed out one of those, one of the really important ones being the quality of the lens that you're putting on the camera and other things too. If you put filters on it, anything that's kind of in between the light and the sensor has the potential to impact how much resolution or how deep, how much detail you're going to capture in your photos. Absolutely. So camera makers, they are absolutely pushing this. They're, they're pushing megapixels like crazy. Um, they want to be able to, to like check the box as you do, you know, people are comparing products of like, well, this one has more megapixels than that one just in the sensor and therefore it's better. When reality is that may not be kind of, there's a lot more factors than just how many photo sites are in the, in the camera sensor. Um, yeah, go ahead, Brent. What else is well, on this one? Yeah. And there's two more things you mentioned lens quality and I want to get into that in a little bit, but there's a, I think something that's going to be easier to talk about too. The manufacturers that have in body stabilization, image stabilization, sometimes we call it IBIS. They're now also talking about how during an exposure, they will shift that sensor yes, around. pixel shifting, yeah. And so then we're going to capture the space between those pixels kind of a thing. <laughs> right. And I look at that and I'm like, well, you know, there might be something to that, but I still totally want to see tests for um, just you know the basic quality. Is it worth it to have that function in the camera? So Panasonic, they just announced uh, you know the pre-order, the, the all the specs and the shipping of their S1 and their S1R, and their S1R with the IBIS pixel shifting, it'll take I think eight pictures. It'll give you a hundred and eighty-seven megapixel image. Yeah, and I'm just like. I'm not sure that's too valuable because <laughs> holy smokes, that's so big. But then that goes right into the lens quality issue of can it even resolve right. what you need? And well, so it, I want to talk. Yeah, go ahead. And there's no doubt. So uh, they, they talked about this. Tony and Chelsea did too uh, pretty extensively. So the, if, if you don't know what this is, you might want to go check out the podcast that in the show notes. So they go over they go over the Bayer pattern, which is something that nearly all cameras and uh, camera sensors use. And, and there's resolution differences then with colors due to this Bayer pattern um, that's there in the sensor. And that's what that pixel shifting is really designed to get around is making it so that now as you shift around the yeah. Bayer pattern, pattern doesn't become a limiting factor but what they shouldn't do is say that that's expanding the megapixels then really they shouldn't right because while what is it that really comes out of the camera if they're literally giving me 187 megapixel out of camera then they're trying to you know add or effectively interpolating detail from the lens is how i would put it if we know that phrase from photoshop what that term means how we're just adding detail based on the detail that's you know, the pixels that are around it. Right. But yeah, if they're shifting it literally one pixel spot over in each dimension so we can capture red, green, blue in each pixel site, then that's really nice. I like that idea. Right. Because then we can have hopefully a greater dynamic range of of the color, a greater color uh, feel for it because the image then shouldn't have to be demosaic'd and we can hopefully get full picture, full color at each pixel site. That would be pretty cool. I'd go for that. But it's still going to give me, you know, hopefully I would say that it's going to be the native ISO out of camera. And that one, it's like 40-some megapixels, 47 or so megapixels. But if they're trying to capture that detail between the frames, and at Olympus and their most recent, uh, the EM1X, they do this same thing as well with doing some uh, pixel additions or however you want to call it. 
it, it's all going to become really reliant on that quality of the lens. And each lens has this thing that we call a circle of confusion. And I love that name because it's absolutely confusing. <laughs> That's right. Yes. But if we were to look at what this circle of confusion thing is, it is the ability for a lens to take a, a, a pinprick of light, a spot of light, and then be able to have that light travel through the lens and be able to be rendered as that pinprick or spot of light very acutely on the sensor. Right, right. And so it's measured in a certain size, and they usually do it in millimeters. And so what we have to think about is what is – well, I should back up and say – so we can basically consider that to be a resolving power or how – good how you know tight you can say that lens is at taking that individual photon of light let's say and is it going to scatter it as it goes through the lens or is it going to keep it going right where it needs to go and nail it and get you a nice sharp area so what is happening there is different lenses have different circles of confusion and well what that circle of confusion is 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 the the measurement that says okay beyond this it is no longer interpreted or perceived as a point of light, right. but it's a little bit blurry. And so this doesn't really have anything to do necessarily with depth of field. I mean, it does play into depth of field calculations, but it's in and of itself, it's more of that this is the final, this is the first measurement of, you know, optical perfection sort of thing. Yeah, so and, it, it, just to ahead. put it, I mean, maybe super oversimplification here. Yes, yes. Right? Uh, it's like the photosite that's receiving the light, it can't really tell the difference between one photon and another inside right, that yeah. circle of confusion, which is what you need in order to get the, the full amount of detail out of that sensor. You need for each one of those photosites to be like guaranteed. I, I know exactly what should be in uh, rendered in the photo from the photons that were received. Right. And, and, uh, and that's what we're trying to get is, is to make it so that those photosites can be smaller and smaller so that we can be more sure that the photon that, that hits it, it, it can register and render it properly in the final image. Right. So let's say you've got a circle of confusion of 0. 0.05 millimeters. If you have pixels that are, say, 0. 0.025 millimeters, well, then you're going to have four pixels inside of that circle of confusion you might as well just have one. Right. It doesn't matter because you're not going to get more resolution out of it because you're limited by the lens. And so you might have more megapixels, but they're useless megapixels because the lens can only do so much. Right. And so that's where I kind of come back to it, like what you're saying. Yeah, if, if manufacturers are saying, ooh, you know, we've got the megapixels, and I think there was a rumor Canon is looking at releasing 100 megapixel right. or yep. 120 megapixel. It's just like, you know, kind of like a why, because we just don't have anyone making lenses at that sensor size, because certainly if you were to have a different sensor size, like medium format or whatever, your circle of confusion doesn't need to be as tight because your photosites are bigger. So it's just, it all goes into that science of figuring it all that out. And it just becomes a little bit of malarkey. I remember when I was first switching to digital, I was kind of late to the game. Uh, my first camera was the 5D original and that was 12.8 megapixels <laughs> and i felt i was like hey finally we've got something because everyone else you know before then they're at six megapixels yeah, so six, i saw the march eight, eight yeah. ten uh -huh. and i was just like still it's just not there you know i shot slide film i was 
really used to that quality and everything else. And then finally, this 12.8 came out. And I was like, you know what? I think we finally have something that is maybe not considered, quote, equal but to slide film, but it's so close. And in so many respects, it's like, pff, blows it away, And which I found later after I switched. And I'm glad I, in one sense, glad I waited, but in another sense, so glad that uh, at 12.8 megapixels, we were get, I was getting some fantastic quality images. Right. So, yeah, all these megapixels, yes, there's something to it, but that's certainly not the only thing. Yeah, they matter, shake. but it's not nearly, it doesn't matter nearly as much as all of the marketing materials would yeah. lead you to believe. So, yeah. kind of a lie. <laughs> as long as, what I tell people today when they're looking, as long as you get something in the neighborhood of 20 or above, I think oh, yeah. you're going to be so happy there's not going to hardly be any limiting factor you would have in that camera because there's it allows you to do so much yeah. uh, with, with the, what you're going to use those images for. Well, I've said it a lot on the podcast here. I would much rather that they focused on improving the dynamic range yeah. capabilities of the photo sites than the number of photo sites. I, I don't yeah. care about more megapixels right now. I have plenty. What yes. I need is more dynamic range so that I can have higher ISO and uh, and be happy with the images. So, but that's yeah, that's not and really in, a marketing number. And in looking at those two Panasonic cameras, one of those twenty four megapixels, one's forty seven or so. Yeah, you know, I look at that. I'm like, man, I really like that twenty four megapixel camera. It has better video features, and it just has way better quality on that dynamic range. So, I'd rather go that route. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next one. 4K. <laughs> 4K video is a disaster in digital <laughs> cameras today. I Pretty mean, much. there are some that are doing really well with it. There are a few, but most of them have struggled like crazy. And the marketing will advertise, like it'll put that that gold 4K symbol Yes. On the packaging, it'll it'll make sure that they're they have to have that as a checkbox item on most cameras now, just because everyone has been taught to look for it, yeah. And and so they're making sure that it's there. And I loved how Tony and Chelsea went through this one to say how how horribly disappointing it has been. Um, they had one camera. I don't remember which it was now, but there was one camera that it was one of the first to say they had 4K, and it did, but. You could only do it for a few seconds before the camera overheated and turned off. <clears throat> so, yeah, that would. <laughs> <laughs> so what value is that? Why Why even market it as saying you've got 4K when it is that useless to yeah. do it? Uh, and there's other things that games that they, the, the camera makers play like uh, cropping. So they're not using the full sensor. They're cropping in uh, because of limitations. Maybe heat is one of them. Or or maybe it's the processor that has to process all those pixels. Yes. Can't keep up. Whatever the reason. There's there's lots of technical reasons why it's it's kind of been a challenge. Uh, the, the 4K stuff today that is used a ton in marketing is usually disappointing for the majority of cameras. There are exceptions. I know people are going to post, oh, this camera does really awesome with it. Oh, yes, there are some cameras that do pretty well. Yeah. But um, but a huge portion of the cameras today, even here in 2019, they are just disappointing with 4K. Yeah, especially if it's a if it's a manufacturer that is relatively, shall we say, quote, new to the video idea, I think they've all had video for a while, but as far as pushing the video, you know, I think most will probably look to Sony and say they've got it 
decently well. Panasonic absolutely right. uh, is well respected in the video scene. But Canon's attempt, Nikon's attempt, they've been a little bit uh, behind the scene in that area, especially Canon. And when it comes to 4K and the 5D Mark IV, I don't even worry about it because technically it's available. <laughs> but it's just don't it's 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 not worth it. Uh, one thing about uh, some of those, though, like you say, with the cropping, or there's another uh, technique that they'll use called pixel binning, which uh, versus uh, just downsizing it from the full sensor, it, that does require significant uh, processing power for right. just downsizing it because basically it's just like constantly downsizing an image uh, on the fly. And so you can have some heat issues, but you know, it just depends on how many mega, megapixels you're dealing with to begin with. Right. And that, that's part of their issue that they're dealing with. And they effectively have to put a supercomputer in there because they're trying to say, oh, we're going to give you all these megapixels for your, for your stills shooting pleasure. But now when it comes to 4K, we're going to, you know, screw it up a little bit. And each one, you have to really look in the details and say, okay, that makes sense for me or it doesn't. And, and then make that decision. It's not standard across the board, though. And it would be fine if if they were very upfront about that as they were marketing the feature. But yeah. they're not. <laughs> Most of the marketing, all it says is 4K. And yep, we're yeah. good to go. And then, and that's what they, Tony and Chelsea were saying where they were so disappointed with is they get excited about it. Like, yes, I want to try this out. Is this going to be my new vlogging camera? Is it going to be what we want there? And then almost without fail, they are disappointed by the implementation in some fashion. Whatever, yeah. you know, different by manufacturer about how they get disappointed. But it's kind of a lie that they they are tired of hearing and now they're they're so suspicious of it whenever a, a camera comes out and it says it has 4k they want to know what the, the catch is what's yeah. okay but why <laughs> how have you disabled this in some fashion <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right so so that's the third one number four frames per second this one spoke to me a lot i, I don't do video so 4k is not something i care about personally but um, frames per second is something I care deeply about. That is sure. a massive part of my photography. I shoot high school basketball games on occasion and FPS or the frames per second is a really big deal to me. Um, so many times though, they don't live up to the advertised or marketed frame rate. Um, usually it's possible to get the, the frame rate that they're, they were advertising under some really specific scenario. <laughs> but most of the time in practical shooting, as you're, as you're going to use the camera, it's way slower than it's marketed to be. Um, they gave some, some examples of two very or three very recent releases. You have the Nikon Z67, which advertises 12 frames per second, but Tony and Chelsea say it's really does is about 2.5 in, Oof, in actual ouch. practical usage. And same with same kind of discrepancy, not quite as big, but still a, a bad thing with the Canon EOS R advertising eight frames per second. And again, really for practical usage, it's all the way down to 2.5 frames a second, which is pretty pathetic, <laughs> pretty, yeah. pretty bad frame rate on brand new cameras that you have out there. And they'll play games like saying, well, if you turn off autofocus so that the right. camera doesn't have to do autofocus in between every single frame, it'll speed up a lot. Well, of course it will. You're, you're disabling a really important feature that, of course, takes time for the camera to, uh, to figure out what it should do with focus. 
And of course it'll get faster, but without autofocus, how valuable is firing off even 12 frames a second if you can't focus in between? Yeah. Uh, and, and other there's other factors too, other other things that get in the way. And, and we're not really talking about that here. It's not really the, the emphasis. The, it's just the point is, it's another marketing metric that might be a little misleading as you go to look at a camera, how many frames per second they advertise. Well, well and then there's a, another manufacturer. I'm actually f- most familiar with these, with the most recent Olympus and and the Panasonic releases, because I just covered these on my Latitude podcast. But with that Olympus, the OMD EM1X, I don't know if this is B&H's problem or if it's Olympus's problem, but when you look at their buffer, continuous shooting, oh, yeah. they've got like eight or nine different scenarios for you know what it can do, <laughs> but they don't tell you the limitations behind those scenarios. So if you're doing 15 frames per second at full resolution, you can shoot up to 103 frames in raw format. Okay, but what's my limitation that's 15 frames? Now, in other materials, I was able to find that out, but right here, they should tell us, when you're in regular autofocus mode, this is what the limitation is. When you're in autofocus constant, this is what the limitation is. Or when you're in manual focus mode, this is what the limitation is. And that camera in particular can actually shoot 60 frames per second at 20.4 megapixels. But then what use is it if the buffer fills up after 49 frames? <laughs> right. That's like... You can't even all, take all just, 60. Yeah. You, yeah, just over a half a second... And, you know, it's just like, oh, now I have to wait for it to write to the card. And how long is that going to take? Maybe a second or two. I don't know. But then you can take another, rattle it off again. But it has to be in manual focus to get that. Uh, So that's just another one of those things where, okay, they have this thing that's really cool potentially but then i just have to wonder what's the practical use of it i'm not a sports shooter if i were a sports shooter and i was doing something like maybe um you know diving off a platform diving kind of a thing where i could nail the focus and just it's not going to change at all maybe this would be really valuable to me and i think that's their target use case but still for what i shoot totally I, i just don't see myself using that that much yeah yes it's just amazing how the marketing list has to be there. They have to have something really high. They're going to put on that marketing, the the glossy or on the packaging for a frame rate. And they can there can be all kinds of caveats behind it. That doesn't matter as long as they can put that high number on the packaging or on the and on the And glossy. I think that's really what we should have listeners. Hopefully that's our intent is to just do your little bit of homework and understand the, the, whatever it is going behind it. At least I don't feel myself trying to be all dogging on the, no. the manufacturers because this is a situation of kind of like everyone's doing it. Right. <laughs> and we've got ourselves into this situation, uh, but it's all about saying, okay, let's, let's go ahead and, and more or less not take it at face value, but let's see what's under the hood, so to speak, and see if we can find out what the true issue is and see what works for us. And then we can make the good decision as to what equipment is best for our shooting needs. Well, it's just healthy to have some skepticism when you see the marketing release of the specs of a camera. They're going to have these items that are on those specs. They're not going to have in in the same marketing release, they're not going to have all of the 
asterisk stuff no. <laughs> that should be there <laughs> of, of the, to outline like the caveats and, and limitations yes. that they are facing and, and that all of them are facing. Right. Um, so, it, yeah, it's it's these kind of half-truth sort of things. It's just kind of awareness. I More than anything, I guess that's what I, I'd like photographers to get out of this is just be aware that the numbers, if you're comparing it from marketing information and trying to compare cameras, it may not be totally fair <laughs> to compare them by yeah. those numbers. All right. Good point. Last one. The last item that they came up with, and then we're going to talk about some of our own. Uh, world's fastest autofocus. How many times do you think you've heard that in a press release? Oh, right? my. Oh, my. <laughs> it, it, in the last just month or, or six weeks alone, at least five or six times. <laughs> right. And how can that be? If it's the world's fastest, there can only be one. There cannot be right. five or six of them. And there's there's no way that they're leapfrogging each other, like release to release and, and are now fast anyway. It, it's really funny to, to come to that. So again, Tony and Chelsea pointed out that they get all excited about world's fastest autofocus. And, oh, I'm so excited to go test this out. This brand new camera that has like really high megapixels, has this massive frame rate, and, and the autofocus is supposed to be able to keep up with it now. And, and it's going to be so so good. And then they are often disappointed as they, <laughs> they go yeah. and actually use the camera. And in some cases, they find the autofocus actually got worse from the predecessor to mm. the new one. And there's factors, there's reasons that that's resulted. Maybe it made a, an improvement in one area, one of these things that we've talked about. And that led to like the downside being we can't keep up the autofocus anymore with whatever cha other change there was. Sure, there's going to be reasons. There's there's going to be reasons on all of this why it is that they've had to kind of tell this half truth. Uh, but it, it seems very disappointing for the majority of cameras as they go to test it. Like, okay, the autofocus is it's all right, it's acceptable, or maybe even in some cases worse. But it's all right. But the, how do they get world's fastest? And I don't see a big big jump like uh, the marketing has claimed. Yeah. One thing, <clears throat> excuse me, one thing in autofocus that I like to see is you know, how sensitive is it when it gets really dark? And that kind of goes in to our desire for them, for manufacturers to just enhance, you know, low light performance in the right. sensors, but the AF performance when it's dark too, that's when it can really get where it's just hunting around and you know, when you can get into the negative EV numbers, that's doing pretty good, but you still need to have a subject that has good contrast so that yep, the yep. camera can even see it. Right. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. And, uh, you know, I'm glad it's in someone else's hands because that's a, that's a solution I'm not able to to even dream of, of solving. It's just uh, when they claim like a negative six EV, negative five EV, that's another thing where I'm just like, man, I can barely see myself in that kind of lighting condition. This camera, they must be doing some weird voodoo magic that's causing this to be able to pick out that detail. Uh, for the most part, it works, but again, it's just I want to see tests, and and I just have grown naturally skeptical of of some of those things. I, I like those numbers. Uh, I just don't know that I'm going to trust or desire for me when I'm shooting. If I'm in negative six EV light, if it doesn't work, I'm just not going to be like, oh, but the thing said it would work. <laughs> right, you know, right. Because they had a very specific subject right. that they were doing. And so I just have to understand it's not going to be even that perfect. Right. All right. So those are the five that Tony and Chelsea came up with. I liked their list. I agree with a lot of these too. It's 
it can be kind of misleading, like we've been talking about. We're going to talk about the ones that we want to add to the list right after we thank a sponsor of this episode. We all know as photographers, if you've spent any time trying to get clients and build your business, we all know how competitive the marketplace is for photographers in particular. We are small business owners. We have a lot of problems with small business issues and things we have to deal with. And that's why we need every tool we can to help us to succeed and make our service stand out. Something that other people are going to pick up on and they're going to choose us over others, all the other options that they have in our markets so that we can be the photographer for the the clients that we're looking for. And that's why we've partnered with a a new sponsor to the show, HoneyBook.com. HoneyBook can help you to spend less time handling the administrative work and more time doing what you love, getting behind the camera, setting up the lighting, all of the things that, that you need to do to make your business really, really successful. HoneyBook offers an all-in-one business management platform for creatives and small businesses. They make it super easy to streamline your process with client and calendar management tools, plus all of the accounting sorts of things you need, like e-signatures, invoices. It helps you get paid faster. It's a combination of a lot of different products that you may have used in the past all in one spot. Over 75,000 photographers, designers, and event professionals, along with solo entrepreneurs, have saved hundreds, if not thousands of hours with HoneyBook. That's why we partnered with HoneyBook.com to offer Master Photography Podcast listeners 50% off their first year of HoneyBook when you use promo code IMPROVE. So go get started at HoneyBook.com today. Use promo code IMPROVE and get 50% off that first year. Again, that's HoneyBook.com, promo code IMPROVE. Okay, Brent, I have two Yeah, I want to add to the list. Two items I want to add to the list, but maybe I'll give you a chance first. Okay. Do you have any items that you would like to add to the list where camera camera manufacturers kind of lied to us a little bit in the marketing? I don't know that this qualifies all the way up to this, what we're talking about. And what I'm going to mention here, probably some people are going to feel like this is maybe a bombshell of some sort. Maybe. I don't know. And I might be overselling it myself. There you go. All right. Um, But that is the importance of the different pattern that Fuji has on the X-Trans sensor. Okay. Because we talked a little bit about the bear sensor and how that has a certain pattern of how it captures red, green, blue, red, green, blue, those kinds of, you know, all the, the basic colors in digital photography. And then... Fuji came out with their X-Trans sensor and uh, most of their cameras, I should say maybe half their cameras have that. Half of them have a um, a bear sensor camera, uh, sensor, excuse me, a bear pattern sensor. And so the reason I guess I'm saying that is, sure, it, it probably does better at getting rid of more A patterns if you don't have the uh, low pass filter in front of it. But we have plenty of cameras now that are bare sensors without the low-pass filter, and I don't hear anyone complaining about more A patterns. And then also when we bring some of those files of the X-Trans into Lightroom and we do certain things in processing in Lightroom, I know we can get uh, some weird phenomena happening that looks like there's little worms swimming around because these because the way that it's uh, interpreting the image. And so uh, Lightroom hasn't done a very good job, at least historically, of being able to when you do certain things to that, I think for the most part, people are getting great quality out of it. And I'm still very interested in potentially switching to the Fuji system. It's just, I need to be thinking about if I'm going to switch, 
I don't think I can use the the argument that the quote X trans is better. It's just that it's a little different, and I have to make sure that it's still going to work for my photography, and that it's going to be better for what I'm looking to shoot, uh, rather than just you know that that blanket that the blanket statement of it's better. I think we have to qualify that statement. So um, at least I feel when I was uh, when they initially came out with it. I was looking at it. And I was like, "Oh, I love it," but I think part of that was I loved it because it was new. Now I have to. I feel I have to find other reasons to love it, and that's just, I guess, my thing. So that's why I say I don't know that it's exactly fitting here precisely because I don't know that I can blame Fuji for being dishonest. Uh, I don't know that I would say that, but uh, my perceptions of it have changed over time. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. The 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 there being an advantage. Yeah, and, and exactly trying to figure out how precisely would that be an advantage for me? Yeah. And is that going to be a, a reason that I would use to say, okay, that's another thing that's in the slot of Fuji of why I want to switch to Fuji. So I just feel like I have to do a little more research on that. I know they give fantastic results. I have been really loving both their lenses and the quality I see coming out of those sensors. There's nothing about the quality they have a question for. It's just how's it going to go, you know, with me and my camera and is it something I have to worry about or is it something that I just wouldn't even address at all? It's just, yep, it's an X-Trans and that's it and not even use that as trying to say, oh, that's a benefit for why I would switch. I have seen some talk from photographers shooting Fuji that uh, they don't like the results that get out of Lightroom, so they have to use different software, which is right. fine. You know, that's right. That's okay. <clears throat> if you want to use Lightroom, then that could potentially be an issue. But uh, But yeah, it's something, I guess, to kind of be aware of. Yeah, and I've seen solutions too where you can run it through a software and it'll change it to a DNG. And I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. So then you can bring in Lightroom and work on it per usual. But then Capture One, they have a specific right. flavor of their software right for the Fuji. And I thought, yeah. well, that's kind of nice. They're building it especially for Fuji. You know, that makes me feel a little special if I were to do that, go that route. So there's just these, you know, I guess other things to be thinking about. And by just a blanket statement, I switched to Fuji because X-Trans, I don't think that has any... Uh, specific value. It has to be other things along with it yeah. and um, maybe de- decreasing that as a, a level of importance. Yeah, there could be a lot of reasons to go to Fuji. Yeah. Maybe the X-Trans, like the, the filter on the sensor may not be the reason. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the, the pattern is, is not necessarily the reason. All right, Brent, any other lies you can think of? Not at the moment, but you know, okay. as we go through, I might come up with another one. All right. I'm going to start with kind of the the one one that we've kind of sort of talked about already, and that's uh, ISO performance. I'm kind of surprised. Maybe uh, maybe Tony and Chelsea were just wanting to keep it to five because it's a nice number for a podcast episode. The five, whatever, sure. is, a, is a good title headline thing to lead you to it. And, and saying six seems a little weird. Anyway, they always we get these advertisements, this marketing message of ISO ranges that are ludicrous, yeah. right? Yeah, the upper end is insane, and something that 
no photographer is ever really going to want to use. I, I've heard Sharky uh, James talk on his show a lot about the digital snowstorm that would happen yes. at, that, at that high ISO range. And uh, it's just like useless. So why even provide it when it's that right. poor and that, <laughs> that big of a problem? Why would, we, why would we want to have that in the marketing materials? Oh, expanded ISO range to some horribly <laughs> horrible number. Uh, it's just not practical to use it. And so I, to me, and, and so I know I've talked about this a lot. I've done a photo taco episode on it about um, photo dap, uh, sorry, photographic dynamic range. PDR is um, uh, something that uh, is, is over at photonsofphotos.net. Uh, Bill Claff has has a lot of information about like the metric that he's created there where it does baseline like all the cameras and he can turn the information into something that's that's real and uh, something you can compare all the cameras to one another as the dynamic range, uh, the impact to dynamic range as the ISO is increased. So super cool numbers. I love that that data. It's a very scientific kind of approach. I don't understand how he does it. That's beyond me, but sure. but he has a very scientific approach to being able to baseline it from actual images from the cameras at, um, and, and being able to come up with this metric. I'd love for the marketing to go to something like that. It doesn't have to be his PDR number, but something similar, something yeah. where we have a standardized approach, a formal way of testing the cameras on any of these. That would be fantastic. The world's fastest autofocus. Well, how do you determine if it's the world's fastest autofocus? You can right. claim it because there is no standard and there's no way to to actually go and you know make a test that's going to be baseline comparison and fair between all these cameras. They work differently and different situations. So in one situation, one camera might do better. In a different situation, a different camera is going to do better. And I wish there was a baseline, some way to, to kind of bring it so that you could actually compare it in a more scientific approach. And that's what I feel PDR is um, over at photonsofphotos.net. So I wish that made it to the marketing. The ISO performance, they, you know, every camera, they feel this pressure now. I need to have a higher number on the high end for the ISO performance. And maybe it is getting better. Maybe there's more dynamic range. Maybe there's less noise produced. They've done improvements in the, in the sensor, improvements in the uh, processor and the algorithms that are being used to try to clean up the noise, all of those kinds of factors. Maybe that is improving and maybe that's represented by that higher number in the marketing. But I, it, it's just become such a joke that I don't even care yeah. what the highest number is. That it, it's meaningless, as yeah. I've seen this from camera to camera. And I wait till Bill has his tested information out there on his site to try to compare. And the progress is really slow. Uh, have you ever checked out the photonsofphotos.net stuff? Only once. I haven't do- uh, gotten as, as deep as you have. Um, I, I have seen it though. I know yeah. what you're talking about. So I, I, I go check it out periodically. Like every time, uh, well, it's every few months after I, he has to have some time after the cameras are released to actually get some actual data from the cameras. Um, and so it, it takes a little bit of time for him to add new cameras on there. And he's fully willing. Like if anyone has a camera that's not in his list and he doesn't have any data, he will work with you and tell you, okay, here's what I need you to do. So you can send me some photos and I can extract the information out of it. I can, hmm. I could pull the data that's out of cool. it. So if you nice. have a camera, not on the list, 
contact Bill and he, he's, he'd love to get the data added there. He wants as much as he can. And um, so I, I love how it compares it. And you can see as you add cameras over time, yes, there's improvement. The dynamic range is slowly, slowly increasing um, with ISO. But it's not as fast or as big a difference from camera to camera as I would like to see. I'd really love to see more of an emphasis from the camera creators uh, on that to, to make a like massive jump in, in that performance. So anyway, that's, that's one of the lies that, that I cringe at is that ISO performance numbers. All right. Yeah. Did you have no comment there, Rich? I, I just totally concur because when you see something, you know, 3,200 is really about the highest I would conceive, maybe 6,400 I would conceive going beyond that. It's just, kind of like mind-boggling why you would want to go to 25,000 or whatever the case may be, 100,000. I just I, I just know it's not going to be an image that I want to uh, use. And, you know, maybe I'm missing out, I guess. Maybe I should go try it out. <laughs> just wig out my camera and make it happen. One thing I guess I, I can... Uh, a specific use case. I do remember it being really awesome. If I remember right, my 6D went to 12,800 ISO. And when I was shooting video, I was on a, a site one time. We were doing nighttime video and the fellas that were there with dedicated video cameras, they could not do anything. Uh-huh. Their their sensors just didn't show a thing. Uh, but I had my 6D with a 24 F14, I think it was, the Canon F14 model. And I was getting awesome video. And because it was only 1080, uh, the noise just wasn't an issue because, you know, it just downsizes all that. And it was beautiful. So uh, it was, that that was where there's a fairly decent benefit to having that higher ISO uh, this was an older camera, but still was limited to the 12,800, I think it was. But any more these days, when you're going to, whether it's 25,000, you're going to 100,000, some cameras are claiming now. I just, yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> yep. It's it's insane. They have these huge, huge numbers and it's useless on for, for stills anyway. It's pretty useless to to try to go there. All right. My last lie or my, my lie, and we'll see if you have, you thought of any others, Brent. Um, and this is this is a big one. I totally get why they're making they're doing this lie. <laughs> they have to sell cameras. That's what yeah. these marketing groups are there for. They have to sell cameras, and convincing someone to upgrade their camera when they're getting the job done with their current camera is something they have to overcome. They've got to figure out how to make people want to upgrade. So of course the marketing is going to try so hard to convince someone they need the newer camera. And I guess it's effective because I see people doing this far too much, in my opinion. People upgrade their camera because they think that's going to put them over, you know, uh, it's going to dramatically improve the quality of their images. When the reality is you probably could do a lot of other things to dramatically improve your image quality with the camera you have. Learning how to use it as the tool it is, every feature, every function, every menu, all, how, how to put your, your camera um, in the right environment or how to change the environment so that you are taking advantage of the strengths of the camera you've got. All of that is stuff that, that's probably better for you than upgrading the camera body. Sure, that there are going to be some advantages to a new camera body. 
Uh, absolutely. But to, I, I think that a lot of photographers are mis- have this mistaken concept that that's going to put them over the hump. They're, that's going to change from the amateur kind of image quality that they're getting right now. And it, all they had, it, it's going to be simple. All I have to do is spend $3,000 on this new camera and I'm suddenly going to get these professional results. And that's probably not true. <laughs> There's way more to it than that. Man. So yeah, this you know this kind of brings me back when I was in college. I bought the Nikon F five, which their marketing uh, at that time was imported from the future. Oh, and, nice! And I was just like you know drooling over this camera. And whenever I was out shooting, and I had that on my mount on my tripod. I mean, people just like they they spread the like like Moses spread the water. It was just like ooh, get out of the way. Here comes a dude with an F5. <laughs> and it's just like, wow, you know, like it's just a camera. Here's one, one thing I was thinking. But another thing was like, I loved that camera. Sure. And it was amazing. Uh, but there was a little bit of that. But now, um, what are we, 20 some years on? And I like to think that I've, I'm not affected by that anymore. But I think there still is, there's just some built-in desire I think we have as humans to just say, you know, we, we, me as our consumerism type, you know, people can go off on, on that kind of a, a, a description too, saying this is what's, you know, driving it. We just feel that we need to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. Um, I like to feel that I haven't, you know, I don't get into that uh, mode so much anymore these days, but, and I have a feeling that a lot of people are also in that same realm because I don't know if you've seen Canon has just announced they predict in the next two years that camera sales are going to fall by half. Yeah. And their current level of roughly 10 million uh, annual units being sold to about five to six million units in the next two years. And this is all consumer level cameras, not just a DSLR mirrorless, but uh, any other camera that you might consider as a consumer level camera. And so I think that's very telling to say, okay, if, if their information is right, that means one of two things. Either we've plateaued in what's important to photographers and there's just no more that we can have in a camera, or for some reason, the manufacturers just aren't innovating and there's no reason for us to do it anyway. So we have reached a plateau, <laughs> so we just need more innovation. Yeah, you know, so I, I'm going to compare it to another technical-based industry, and sure. uh, that's going to be mobile phones, smartphones. Sure. Uh, A similar kind of problem is being faced now by smartphone manufacturers because increasingly people are saying, you know what, my phone's still working pretty darn well. I've had it for two years, sure, but it's still working really well. Why do I, why should I upgrade? Why should I spend the gobs of money that these these phone makers want for their newest phones mm-hmm. when the one I got is doing the job. Um, yep. Sure. I wouldn't mind having some of the features and, and, and the, the phone makers manufacturers are, you know, reaching for, well, what can we do to make it so that like, can we maybe and at Apple in particular, they're really doing this a lot. I'm going <laughs> to disable this one function. That's totally right. software based. There's yep. no reason I can't enable it in the, in the old phone, but I'm going to do it because I have to have a way to convince people that they have to upgrade their phone. They got to pay their thousand yep. dollars to get a new phone. And, and I think the camera manufacturers are uh, in a similar spot. They've probably been there longer than, than the phone manufacturers. 
and uh, and their releases aren't near as frequent. All of the phone manufacturers, it's it's a yearly release at least. Oh yeah, and, if not sooner. And camera manufacturers, Sony was kind of on that sort of a, a breakneck pace for a while, right? Right. But they've, they've slowed down a bit too now. But so they they have this huge challenge. I I totally get it. Why the marketing is pushing so, so hard to convince people that they need to upgrade their camera. And I get why a lot of photographers, uh, that's appealing. Why the marketing is effective and working. Because, man, is it a good thought to think, all I have to do is spend $3,000 and my photography is going to go through the roof. This is going to be awesome. This is this is going to do it. How? Who of us wouldn't love for that to be the case? Of course, we'd love to to solve that problem, bypass all of the like experience and learning and practice and hard work that it might take to actually make material improvements in your photography. It's much better to think all I have to do is spend the money and I'm there. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's an appealing, appealing thing, and the marketing kind of leads you right down that path. All you have to do is buy the brand new camera. And wow, is your photography going to be incredible? If I may shoehorn an idea in here, okay. if 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 listeners are uh, thinking along those lines, and I I know we've kind of talked along these lines for quite a while, as far as uh, thinking, you know, it's it's really not about the equipment, and that's basically what we're kind of getting down to. Definitely get yourself uh, take that three thousand dollars that you would put into camera gear. Uh, if you have, you know, at least a DSLR style camera, at least, you know, if you're still on your cell phone or your point and shoot or whatever, maybe, sure, please get get a, yeah. a, a more yeah, advanced yeah. camera. But beyond that, I would rather see someone reach out to anyone that's doing some education and invest in that side of things oh, for a yeah. while. And then you're going to feel limited by that camera. And then you'll be have, be able to have concrete reasons for why you should go ahead and upgrade. And that's really where... Uh, I would feel more comfortable when people ask for advice, what camera should I buy? You know, if they can state that they feel they've outgrown their camera, I just get excited because I'm just like, that's awesome. You are growing in your photography and you're moving forward and you have realized this specific issue is happening or three specific issues are happening and you want to just do better and hallelujah, you know, and I want to do all I can to, to give you that advice. If you're just like, oh, I just want the new one, I'll probably try and talk you out of it because I'd rather you uh, search out education resources and and just get better with the gear that you have. Right. You know, I, I think it's also not only we're, we're getting attacked on this on on more than one front. Not only do the camera manufacturers put out marketing that's really pushing that this is all you need to to break through and, and improve your your photography a lot. Um, you also have a lot of mainstream media photographers, I'll call them, sure. who are sponsored by a cami manufacturer, and therefore they also need to kind of push that same thing, like you know, rave reviews about the latest camera and, and how wonderful it is, and man, this is so much better, and and maybe it is, maybe maybe there's some some honest reaction there. I personally have a struggle. I think it's conflict of interest <laughs> where, yeah. where they, they, they lose a little credibility just because of that. Now, it's, it can't be broad strokes, so it's not everyone. Right. There, there may be some. I think Dom Kamareczka, for example, is really good at balancing those things. He is a sponsor. I believe it's Panasonic that's, uh, that's sponsored him. 
yet I really value his the way that he analyzes cameras and, and reviews them. And he's a he's a friend of mine, but he, he does a really good job of balancing those two things. But in general, if I do have to paint, paint with broad strokes, I take it with a grain of salt when I see yeah. the review from a mainstream photographer um, who's also sponsored. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know them well <laughs> enough to know how I can take their review and and it's it kind of gets tainted, but it, they have like huge reach, huge influence, and they push people towards upgrading their cameras. When like yeah. like we've been talking about, I think there's just often better ways to get better at photography and improve your image quality than upgrading your your body. Yep, sounds good. <laughs> All right, so that's that's really the biggest lie that I think they're ma- they're telling us. I totally get why. I understand exactly why they're doing it. I would expect nothing else. They, those marketing people shouldn't be paid if they're not doing that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's that is their job. They need to convince people to buy new cameras, and the best way to convince or the the audience that's easiest to convince are people that are already buying their cameras. So you, that's what you do. And I get it. I just, I think, I, I wish more photographers would hold off from uh, succumbing to that marketing and thinking that that's going to be the difference maker. When I think there's better ways. So there you go. <laughs> I've said it a lot. And people, there you go. <laughs> I, I, people are going to, I'm sure we're going to get buried by, yeah, you just don't understand how much better this camera is. And, you're, you're beating a dead horse. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our doodads, Brent. What do you have? Yeah. A battery backup for your computer and other devices that you plug into your computer. Definitely, I think that's very important to have. You know, if your power were to go out, Boo, everything just powers down. That would stink, especially if like you were in the middle of a backup or if you were in the middle, you know, data backup that is, and maybe you're in the middle of a photo shoot or something like that. So uh, I just had two of them go out on me in my computer lab. So it's kind of really fresh in my mind and uh, it's important to have a battery backup. Excellent. And you've got a link to one that is... Yeah, it's a CyberPower uh, brand, and it's uh, an 850VA-510W, uh, so basically the, the wattage. It, it can power, uh, what is it, five or six devices, uh, computers, monitors, or what have you, uh, scanners or whatever. Uh, and then it has another six outlets for the items that don't need to be backupped uh, on the power. So I would say if you have external hard drives, make sure you plug it into the backup side. Uh, definitely your computer, that kind of a thing. And this is something that'll just give you in the neighborhood of maybe five to 15 minutes when the power goes out, a little sound will happen. And you just know, okay, time to shut it down until the power comes back on. And it can save your save your processing and a lot of work sometimes. Right, right. Yes, uh, I have a similar model. It's uh, it's slightly different than the one that you had. It's, it's 90 bucks. I'll put a link in the show notes too that um, I just... I, so they, they don't last forever either, these, these UPSs. No, which is terrible, but hey, they, yeah. just, re- just replace them. They, um, they have batteries inside of them. I mean, that's at the core of it. That's how it works. You're, you're uh, charging the battery and then your computer goes off of you know, the, the battery and what's going on in there. And then if the power drops in your house, then you still have the battery that's able to keep things up for a period of time. The idea is it gave you enough time to shut stuff down so that it doesn't just die in the middle of something and potentially yeah. cause a problem to your computer. Um, 
but those batteries don't last forever. Like all batteries, they have a lifetime and they don't last forever. So I just had one last week um, and it makes this terrible whine. Oh, it does. When, when they go out, it's just, <laughs> oh, it's horrible, which uh, is fair. That's, that's actually good because it needs to bug you to replace it because it's, no, it's not working anymore. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I, I have an APC branded UPS, which is a fine brand that it, 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 I could have recommended that too. Um, and they are replaceable batteries, but the battery is like almost the full cost of the unit itself. Yeah. And so, so I, I also recently just switched to the cyber power brand. Uh, I don't know that it's any better than APC, but, uh, it's cheaper. So the, the only reason I bought it, I liked the form factor of how the plugs go in. So, so there you go. Uh, the, so the APC had a different form factor, and uh, maybe I could have looked harder and found it, but I was like, "Nope, that looks good. Bingo, let's buy it and just move on." So that's that's about the only reason I chose this one over the other ones. All right, my pick. Um, I was going to go with that same. That's funny. We we were on the same lines uh, with the the battery backup, but my pick is going to be the Impact Background Support System. I I recommended this before. But I like to occasionally repeat these doodads sure, um, yeah. as I use them, as I continue to have good experience with it. And I have seen a question in our Facebook group recently about what background support system we'd recommend. So this is the one that I will recommend. Uh, it's called the Impact Background Support System 12 foot wide. It's about 110 bucks, And... Um, it's the one that I'm using with all of my uh, composite shooting that I'm doing with the high school basketball athletes. Um, I shoot them against a full white background. I blow out the background so it's super easy to select um, that background away from the others and, uh, and, and composite them into another scene. So it's really cool. Um, I do want to provide a little bit of a warning with this. So I got this one because the price was right. You absolutely, like most things, you'll almost always get what you pay for. It is a low-cost solution, and it's not the full, the best quality all the way around. So the stands themselves are a little light. They tend to be a little tipsy, and so you kind of kind of have to be careful as you're setting things up so that they don't fall over. A sandbag would do wonders if you put that on there, then that would really, really help. So it's a pretty simple solution to do that. I don't use sandbags with it. I just deal with them being slightly tipsy. The other problem is worse, and that is that it has these little uh, tips that are on the top of each light stand, and then the mm. bar has like notches that go over those tips to set it up. Those tips, uh, they don't—they're not real solid. They—they um, mm. they strip out, so they're kind of screwed onto the light stand. And I've had on both of them now. I've used it for about three years. This light stand, this backdrop stand the screws have stripped out so they don't screw on tight anymore. Um, I haven't even tried to take them off. It's just the pressure that the backdrop puts on these light stands and these tips uh, has caused them to get stripped out and then they kind of just come off completely and you can't really use it if these things come off. So fortunately, some super glue and we're fixed. <laughs> so so it hasn't ended up being like a, this massive, massive problem and it works for me. So You'll have to decide, of course, if you want to spend more money, get a little higher quality system. But I can recommend it as something that does a really good job of holding up my muslins as I'm shooting these athletes and providing a really good background. Cool. All right. 
that is going to be the end of our show for today. Let's remind you that you can find all the show notes over at masterphotographypodcast.com. The new home for the show, uh, not so new. We Actually, it's been a little over a year now. It's, yeah, just about a year because it was last March. Yeah. I think it was. So we're really coming up to about a year where we've got... Uh, this whole thing as we have it now. Yep. So yeah, yep. we probably have a lot of new listeners that are just like, what do you mean new, new <laughs> right, uh, right. home to the show? Right. So I, I need to take that out in our show notes. It's not the new home. It is the home for the show. Yeah. Uh, you can check out the Facebook group too, Master Photography Podcast. There's a link to it in the show notes that are over at masterphotographypodcast.com. You do have to ask to join and uh, we want to keep the spammers and the bots out of the group. We only want listeners in there. So you have to name a host on the show to join. That's going to be Jeff or Brent will work. Any of the other hosts that we have on, any other guests that we have on, we'll accept all of those. What we don't accept is your own name or yeah. let me in or you know any of that because clearly they're not listening to the show. So right. uh, we, we want listeners in there only. You can find my work at jsharmanphotos.com. You can find my other podcast over at phototacopodcast.com. And uh, on Facebook, I'm Harmon Jeff, Twitter, Harmon underscore Jeff, and Instagram, Harmon Jeff. You don't have to remember any of that because you can go to the show notes over at masterphotographypodcast.com to find it. And Brent, where can people find you? On Instagram, just search my name, Brent Bergherm. And at latitudephotographypodcast.com, you can find me there for the show notes for that uh, podcast. My main website, brentbergherm.com, has all the stuff about my workshops. And I will be still, I think, um, on course for... Um, releasing that fine art printing course in April. So we're looking good there still. And then I've got a Facebook group for my workshop people and then um, also the Latitude Facebook group as well. So the listener Facebook group there. So lots of different places to see what I'm all up to. And I always forget my YouTube channel. Just search Brent Bergen Photography on YouTube and you'll find some videos. I'm about to release uh, an item for uh, a bag or two that I just received. So uh, looking forward to getting that out there on the YouTube as well. Excellent. All right. Love to have you track, uh, you know, follow us on, on all of those platforms. Love for you to get engaged. Love for you to go in the Facebook group and let us know what you think about the show or comment on the post in the masterphotographypodcast.com. We do read those comments, but almost nobody's commenting there. So if you're not a Facebook user and you have a comment or feedback for the show or, or you want to, uh, you know, if you want to tell me how crazy I am to say that you can't, you uh, have better ways to improve your photography than buying a new camera body, then go over to the, <laughs> the show notes or the website and let me have it. Let, let me hear, hear those comments. Uh, all free game. I love to hear other thoughts and, and thinking and uh, we, we welcome your, your feedback. And we are so grateful that you're listening. Thanks so much, yes. everybody. And we'll see you again in another seven days. 